Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well. It's so good to be with you. And this is another pre-recorded program just for you. It's fresh. It's not an encore. But um, both yesterday and this morning, I am on the East Coast with um, uh, LifeSite News annual conference with their staff from all over the world. So Station of the Cross and LifeSite and me and you were all together Um so I pre-recorded this, and uh, you won't be able to call in or uh, text or email today, but we'll be back with you on Monday, and um, and you'll certainly be able to do that uh, then. Um, I wanted to devote these two days to the issue of marriage because of a remarkable article that I read yesterday. I'm only going to read it in part today to pick up our subject for those who may not even have heard it yesterday or who wouldn't mind having it repeated. And the title of the article is The Only Divorce-Free City in the World. Now, the fact that there is a divorce-free city in the world is astounding, and it's in Bosnia. And way down, I'm going to be at about the middle of the article, it says... Um, <clears throat> Let's see. What marks this profoundly religious attitude is that they, the couples, the people, see marriage as a cross indissolubly united to the cross of Christ. That's the answer. That's the answer for our relationships. That's the answer for our lives if we would do that. But the husband and wife see marriage as a cross indissolubly united to the cross of Christ. This leads spouses to face their union without romanticism. Doesn't mean that they don't care for each other, but a romanticism is a false ideal of a fairy tale marriage and a fairy tale love. Without romanticism, false expectations and illusions, realistically, they know that in this valley of tears, everyone has defects. There is no mutual understanding without a mutual exercise of patience. This Catholic view of marriage is what prevents the incident of divorce and separations. However, the attitude finds physical expression in a custom. This is really wonderful, beloved. I wish we'd adopt it here. During their married life, the spouses find strength by praying together before the crucifix they hold together during the religious wedding ceremony. In this ceremony, the priest blesses the crucifix presented by the bride and groom. He places the bride's right hand upon the crucifix, then that of the groom upon hers, and covers them with a stole, The couple then makes their vows with their hands clasping the crucifix. The priest tells them 
that they have found the ideal partner with whom they must share their lives with the following words, quote, You have found your cross. It is a cross that you must love and take with you every day of your lives. Know how to appreciate it, end quote. And after kissing the cross, the spouses enthrone it in a place of honor in their homes, showing their profound belief that a family must be born of the cross. Wasn't the human family reborn in Christ, the new Adam, on the cross? When trials, misunderstandings, disagreements, and difficulties common to all marriages arise, both spouses kneel before the crucifix and with unwavering faith ask for strength to endure them, for our Lord's yoke is easy and his burden is light. This attitude is consistent with the belief that the cross will give them strength to overcome daily trials if they grounded their marriage in it. This isn't just uh, philosophy or idealism, beloved. These Catholic couples in in, uh, Bosnia, they live it. They're Croatian, all of them. Most of them are Catholic. They live their faith. They live their marriage vows, and they know that living the vows is going to be living the cross. The spouses, it says, are keenly aware that if one abandons the other, they will abandon Christ. Wouldn't that be fantastic if all spouses see that? If one abandons the other, they are abandoning Christ. That's what's happening if their marriage is sacramental. If one spouse leaves, they are abandoning Christ. They are breaking their vow and turning from God. The article goes on to say, Experience teaches that the source of perseverance through which they will gain eternal life can only come from the cross of Christ rather than any external factor. And the children born of these strong unions learn from a tender age, to venerate the family crucifix and direct their early prayers to the cross. How could the children not learn that? It's the way they grow up. They don't know any other way. In this way, the article concludes, these Catholics learn to practice from an early age that which the immortal Portuguese author Luis Canoes I know I'm mispronouncing his name, already celebrates with the words, quote, thou who carefully look, um, thou who carefully looks for rest in this tempestuous sea of the world, do not expect to find any rest except in Jesus Christ crucified. Children thus acquire a consistent formation to face the vicissitudes of life with a supernatural spirit. That's marriage, beloved. That's what God intended, that it would be one woman, one man, becoming the two becoming one until death do they part. Not spiritual death, physical death. 
till death do they part. So yesterday, which I won't repeat, I went to an article by Venerable John Harden on matrimony, the sacrament of fidelity, and procreation. And we were speaking about the fact that Christ elevates marriage, and we were right at the marriage ritual, and I'll pick up there. And Father Harden says, the marriage rite, R-I-T-E, fulfills the provision that the sacramental grace and duties of the marrying partners be clearly understood. There are no less than five petitions to the Heavenly Father asking him for the graces which the husband and wife will need all the days of their life here on earth. For the graces of matrimony, Father Hardin says, um, uh, for the f- graces of matrimony, um, uh, here is the quote from the matrimo- from the ceremonial, from the rite. Quote, Father, by your power, you have made everything out of nothing. In the beginning, you created the universe and mankind in your own likeness. You gave man the consistent help of woman so that man and woman should no longer be two, but one flesh. And you teach us that what you have united may never be divided. And then another prayer, which is the sign of Christ's union with the church, all that takes place during the marital rite, during the marital ceremony. Quote, Father, you have made the union of man and woman as, a, as so holy a mystery that it symbolizes the marriage of Christ and his church. And here's the prayer on the holiness of marriage. Father, by your plan and um, by your plan, man and woman, man and woman are united, and marriage has been established as the one blessing that was not forfeited by original sin or washed away in the flood. It was not forfeited, beloved, but because of Christ, it was elevated and made a true sacrament and given the grace to be a marriage. That's between a man and a woman. Beloved, there is no such thing as same-sex marriage. There is no such thing as marriage between two people of the same sex, two men or two women. Absolutely not. They, God has given us the freedom to live together in sin, but it is not union and it is not marriage. It is very serious sin because we have turned from God and we say we don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way and God gives us the freedom to do it our way, but it is not marriage and no same-sex couple living in a uh, relationship really of fornication uh, will ever enter heaven. Here's another prayer from the marital rite. Look with love upon this woman, your daughter, now joined. This is to the. This is um, uh, for the wife. Look with love upon this woman, your daughter, now joined to her husband. Let's say it's the woman's son in marriage. She asks your blessing. This new daughter, who we call a daughter-in-law, this new daughter asks your blessing. Give her the grace of love and peace. May she always follow the example of the holy woman who praises her, whose praises are sung 
in scriptures. Um, and then for the husband, may the husband put his trust in her and recognize that she is his equal in her, that is the woman that, um, that his son is marrying. May the husband put his trust in her and recognize that she or his daughter and recognize that she is equal and the heir with him in the life of grace. May he always honor her and love her as Christ loved his church, uh, his bride. And then finally, the mutual fidelity in children. The prayer is this, Father, keep them always true to your commandments. Keep them faithful in marriage and let them be living examples of Christian life. Give them the strength which comes from the gospel so that they may be witnesses of Christ to others. Bless them with children and help them to be good parents. May they live to see their children's children. And after a happy old age, grant them fullness of life with the saints in the kingdom of heaven. End quote. You know, beloved, if these prayers, part of the marital rite, were lived out, we would not have in-law problems, we wouldn't have problems between families. Mothers and fathers, when your children get married, you need to sever the cord. You need to let them go. They are to leave their mother and father and cling to one another. Mothers, don't be controlling. Stay out of your daughter's marriage. Stay out of your son's marriage. Same thing with the fathers. Stay out of it. Stay out of the way they're raising their children. If you can encourage them to love and holiness, yes, of course. But don't criticize. Don't tell the wife how to run her house. Um, let them go. Let them build their own life together. Father Hardin goes on to speak about the purpose of marriage. It is impossible to exaggerate the importance of selfless love in marriage. Selfless love. This love is first of all to be a unitive love. Unitive love is so basic that without it, there would be no value, valid marriage. That is one reason why so-called mixed marriages are hazardous to marital unity. If there is one thing that husband and wife should share in common, it is their mutual Catholic faith. And, beloved, all you need to do is listen to this program, Mother Miriam Live, or many other Catholic programs that receive calls to see that um, all the problems in marriage. I married a man that wasn't Catholic, or I married a woman that wasn't Catholic. She agreed that we could raise our children Catholic. He agreed that we can raise our children Catholic. You cannot. If you marry a spouse who is not Catholic, you they'll agree to that. They'll be truthful. But you can't raise someone in a faith you don't know and that you don't believe. You cannot do it. You can do the mechanics. You can take them to church. No, you cannot. The only way to raise children in the faith is by Catholic spouses. There is no other way, no matter the agreement. And very often, the spouse that is not Catholic 
is a Christian of some form and into the marriage, when they realize what raising the children Catholic means, they rebel. They rebel because they don't believe it. And the fact is that marriage should have never taken place. If you're Catholic, you need to marry a Catholic. And if you did not marry a Catholic, um, you're going to reap the, re- the fruits of it. You're going to reap the results. Many people got married and they were falling away from their Catholic faith. They didn't know or they didn't want to know, whatever the case was. And now God has brought them back to their faith with a zeal. Now they have all kinds of problems to deal with. And they are problems that you took on when you were fallen away from your faith. You're sincere now, blessed be God, but you're going to need to be very, very patient and loving and undemanding because God has brought you to the faith, not necessarily your spouse, and your children don't know what it is to be raised in a Catholic home. You're going to have to not set down any rules. You're going to have to live your faith, and that includes no contraception and no abortion, and that includes that. Um but you cannot demand of your wife or your children that they believe. You have to love them into the faith the way God loved you back into the faith. Um, Father Hardin goes on to say, most Catholics look casually upon mixed marriages, and it is increasingly rare to find more than a few pieces of literature on the subject, but the scriptures say it very clearly, not to be unequally yoked. If you're married to a non-Catholic Christian, you are unequally yoked, even though you're two baptized people. You are unequally yoked, and your marriage does not have a good chance to succeed, and you're going to have much trouble with your children, raising them. Yet no other phenomenon is more common in Europe and the Americas um, than than mixed marriages, and none has more lasting implications for the welfare, not only of the Church, but of Western society. All the learned books on Christianity... um, Hold on a moment. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, all the learned books on Christianity and within Christianity on Catholicism are not are so much vapid uh, theory unless those who write these books take stock of what is happening in real life, which means especially in the institution and practice of marriage. At the heart of Protestantism, beloved, listen to me, listen to Father Hardin, at the heart of Protestantism is the denial that Christ instituted the sacrament of matrimony. Moreover, no Protestant denomination in the world believes that marriage cannot be dissolved with a right to remarry, not once, but as often as a nominally married husband and wife uh, want to. Judaism has not changed since the Pharisees challenged Christ on the right of the man to divorce and remarry. Islam not only believes in divorce and remarriage, but universally believes in polygamy. 
you know, um, there are Protestants who would be very offended by that. They say Protestantism, we don't, we're evangelicals, we don't deny that Christ instituted the sacrament of marriage. Well, if you don't deny it, then no man and nothing on the world can break it up. If you continue to say that for infidelity, a wife can leave her husband or a husband can leave his wife, then uh, you don't believe Christ instituted marriage. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. Absolutely not. And that's what the Pharisees went to Jesus about. Moses allowed them to divorce for infidelity. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. Father Varden goes on to say, it is impossible to overstate the importance of husband and wife sharing in the same Catholic faith and practicing this faith throughout their married lives. Unitive love between the spouses is possible only through the grace of God. This grace is assured by the sacrament of matrimony. You have the grace. If you have a sacramental marriage, you have the grace to live it out. But it must be sustained through the practice of fervent daily prayer and the reception of the sacraments of the Eucharist and penance. Your love could grow cold. Your zeal could go, grow cold. The heart that, uh, that made you dive into those vows with love, uh, that will grow cold. If you do not have a life of prayer, if you do not frequent the sacraments, if you're not at church every Sunday and as often as possible, if you're not at confession as often as possible. Father Hardin says, however, the purpose of marriage is also to foster procreative love. This means that marriage is divinely intended to animate the selfless love of husband and wife to want to have children. Unlike unitive love, which provides for their mutual affection for each other, procreative love makes them desire to cooperate with each other in bringing offspring into the world and caring for and educating their children in what the church calls spiritual procreation. If you block procreation for any reason, uh, you are shutting God out and your love is selfish. Love in the marital act between a man and woman is to be procreative. That doesn't mean our Lord will give you a child every time. It means that it needs to be life-giving love. It needs to be open to life. And if it's not, then you've closed yourself off not only to God, but to one another saying, I want your body. I don't want anything else. Totally selfish. Father Hardin said, I asked the Lord for light as to whether I should include something about contraception in this conference on matrimony. And he says, what I have to say will be lengthy, but most important. How can you speak of, um, uh, how can you speak of uh, matrimony and not speak of the moral law within marriage? 
that it needs to be life-giving love without putting a barrier in the way of conception. And so contraception is against conception. Um, And Father Hardin says this, this year, and let me just say before I begin, um, I know there are Catholic couples who say we're Catholic, we are good Catholics, we're practicing Catholics, but we don't believe the church is teaching on contraception. I don't know who you are, but I will tell you you are not Catholic. If you think you're Catholic, but you disagree with the church on a matter that is infallible and not up for grabs, not up for your opinion, then you're not Catholic. Then you are Protestant. You happen to be in the Catholic Church, but you're not doing the church or the honor of God any good by being Catholic and rebelling against God. This, these are not man-made laws, beloved. These are not man-made laws. There are books on contraception that show how God put Onan for one to death in the Old Testament for wasting his seed for contracepting. It is a very serious, grave evil. Life is in the hands of God, and we are not to interfere with that. And if you do, beloved, and you're Catholic, you're either not Catholic, and if you're contraception, you must not receive the Eucharist, or you, um, you need to go to confession. Okay, I'm sorry. I have something in my eye, beloved. You won't be able to call in because this is being... And so... Um, We'll be right back. Don't go away. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at lifesitenews.com. Often when confronted with the apostles' claim that Jesus rose from the dead, people ask if they made it up, and it's a reasonable question. So, did they? I don't think so, and here are a few reasons why. First, the early Christians had nothing to gain and everything to lose in lying about Jesus' resurrection, which makes their testimony credible. As Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15, the only outcome for him lying is persecution and death. How does that serve as motivation for a lie? Second, the Gospel writers include women as the first witnesses. This is a big no-no if you're trying to fabricate a story in first century Judaism. According to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, the testimony of women wasn't considered reliable at the time. So there's one thing we can be certain of. The apostles weren't lying about Jesus' resurrection. 
I'm Carlo Brusord with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you and again um, because this program today is brand new for you, but we've pre-recorded it, um, and so today you will not be able to call in um, with your questions or your text or your emails, um, but we'll be back on Monday, and you'll be able to listen then and uh, call in with anything that's on your heart. We are going through Father Harden's um, paper on matrimony, the sacrament of fidelity and procreation, and what spurred me to on to read this uh, and to go through it. Number one, Father John Harden is on his way to canonization. He's venerable. Um, but also we read earlier and yesterday um, the fact that the uh, there's a divorce-free city in the world, it's Bosnia, and it's a city in Bosnia. It's just amazing. And we talked about what they did at their marriage ceremony, and they understand that marriage is uniting themselves to Christ on the cross. And it's a wonderful thing. And at their marriage ceremony, uh, at the rite, at the marital rite, they take a cross, they bring husband and wife-to-be, bring a cross to the priest, and the priest, they give the cross to the priest, and the husband puts his hand on the cross, and the wife puts her hand on his, and together they make their vows, uh, knowing that they're entering into the cross of Christ in their marriage and for the whole of their married life. And um, they're faithful to that cross, and they put it in a very prominent place in their home, and any time there's a dispute or difficulty or trial, they go on their knees together, before that cross, and they pray, and there's no divorce. It's a fantastic thing, and the children grow up witnessing that. <clears throat> they don't have to be taught what to do. That's what they do. Like they make their bed in the morning, they pray before the cross. It's what they do. It's who they are. They're Catholic. They don't. They don't divorce. Why? Because they're Catholic. Because they have not too many problems. No. Because they're not as human as we. No. But because they understand that there's going to be difficulties, that it's a cross. We're dealing with two fallen human beings in the midst of a fallen world. And unless we unite ourselves to Christ on the cross, there's no hope. There's no hope. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So we went from that article to Father John Harden's article on matrimony, and he is up now to the point of speaking of contraception. And this is very, very important, beloved. Many people fight about this, Catholics. Uh, they don't understand it. They disagree as if the rules of the church were made up by a bunch of men, and they're not. They're, they are, it is the faith wants to live it to the saints. These are Christ's teachings. And the role of the church is not to make them up, nor can it abolish them. The church has no power to make these things up. And the church has no power to do away with them. No power. These are of God. 
And the church is, I've said before, much like a wait staff in some way. The waiter does not cook the meal. He gets it from the chef, and it's his job to bring it to the table without messing it up. That, in a sense, is the magisterium, not to belittle or put it down, but they invent no truth. They get the truth. Everything we have is from Christ and no new truth. It's all been delivered. And it's the job of the magisterium of the church um, from the Pope on down to get it to the sheep without messing it up. And so if anything has been declared as dogma, as moral doctrine, it may not be changed no matter what happens, no matter what happens. Uh, We have a synod coming up called the Amazonian Synod, the Amazon Synod being held in the Amazon in October, and the working paper that has been made public is very troublesome. It speaks about speaking about women in the priesthood, celibacy for uh, doing away with celibacy for priests and, 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 and other things. And I want to tell you, if you take a woman and you put her through the rite of becoming a priest and lay hands on her and anoint her with oil and put clerics on her, you know what she will be? She will be a woman. She will never be a priest because you need form and matter for a sacrament to take place. The form is the rite of ordination. The matter is a man, not a woman. We can argue with that, but that's what God did. And women could never be priests. It doesn't matter if they're ordained and wear collars. They are not priests, and they never, ever will be. That is a doctrine that cannot change in the church. The Eucharist... um, must be bread and water. The form is the prayer of consecration. I mean, the the host must be of wheat and water, is what I meant to say. And if any other substance is used, it's not the host. It will not be uh, transubstantiated into Christ. We have a very clear faith. God gave it for children. It's not complicated. We make it complicated because we're fallen and we want what we want. And if you give a little three-year-old what he or she wants, she's going to be dead pretty quickly. She's going to run out in a row with a, with a truck coming. She's going to eat what's poison. And she'll be dead because she wants what she wants. And you are the parent and you must protect her. And God is our father and he will protect us. He will protect us. Um, he will not change things to accommodate us, beloved. So here is the matter of contraception. Father Hardin says this year is the 13th anniversary of the publication of Pope Paul VI uh, of the encyclical Humanae Vitae, which forbids contraception as a grave sin. Now, Father wrote this paper 20 years ago, and so um, we are... um, I'm not even sure what, it might even have been a little more than 20 years ago. So uh, so he's talking about um, uh, the 13th anniversary, which is, uh, it would be at least, I, I don't remember uh, the anniversary of Humanae Vitae at the moment, but um, it, it would be at least, uh, uh, at, at the point that 
father wrote this, it would have been at least uh, 30 plus years after Humanae Vitae. He says, which forbids contraception is a grave sin. No single document in modern papal history has provoked more controversy and opposition than Humanae Vitae. Now, beloved, uh, there's the music for our second break. We'll be right back after the break. Do not go away. We'll finish this. It'll be a very short break, and uh, you won't be able to call in. We'll be back on Monday for you to do that. So if you have questions, jot them down, and you can call in or text or email on Monday. We'll be right back. God bless you. The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed three times a day on the Station of the Cross at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is a meditative and efficacious way to foster habitual prayer. It is the daily prayer of the Church, prayed throughout the world by priests, religious, and laity. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the Church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than by tuning in to hear real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And we are live, but we are pre-recorded live um, today because I'm on the East Coast with LifeSite News and their annual uh, wonderful uh, meeting. Um, and so we are coming together with Station of the Cross and LifeSite News and, and us and you um, in a pre-recorded program. 
And uh, we'll be back on Monday to take your calls and your questions, text, emails. Um, and we're speaking about the um, the enormous gift of marriage that God has given us. And we're reading through Father John Harden's, uh, one of his papers on marriage. And we are up now to the point of contraception. And um, he is sp- referring to Humani Vitae. Um, and he says, in one country after another, Catholic bishops' conferences met in solemn session to pass judgment on this papal teaching of Paul VI. Thank God many of these conferences fully approved what the Vicar of Christ declared, but not a few Episcopal associations rejected this infallible doctrine of Christian morality. People argue whether Humanae Vitae is an infallible document. It teaches infallible teaching. It's in the matter of contraception is infallible moral teaching of the Catholic Church, which every Catholic is bound to believe and to live at great peril if we do not. Among those who rejected uh, this doctrine uh, was the National Conference of Bishops of the United States back then. Uh, Father Hardin says, let me quote two essential paragraphs of Humanae Vitae. And uh, I'm quoting them here. In conformity, quote, in conformity with these landmarks in the human and Christian view of marriage. Now, this is within the document Humanae Vitae, which I know many of you have read, but many of you have not. So these are two crucial paragraphs that you'll have. In conformity with these landmarks, in the human and Christian view of marriage, we must again declare that the direct interruption of the generative process already begun and above all directly willed and procured abortion, even if for therapeutic reasons are to be absolutely excluded as licit means of regulating birth. Let me reread that. In conformity, having to do with abortion here, in conformity with these landmarks in the human and Christian view of marriage, we must again declare that the direct interruption of the generative process already begun and above all directly willed and procured um, abortion. It's a little complicated for me. Um, already begun and directly willed and procured abortion, even if for therapeutic reasons are to be absolutely excluded as licit, that's legitimate, licit means of regulating birth, equally to be excluded as the teaching authority of the church has frequently declared is direct sterilization, whether permanent or temporary, whether of the man or of the woman. Similarly, excluded is every action which either in anticipation of the conjugal act or in its accomplishment or in the development of its natural consequences proposes, whether as an end or as a means, to render procreation impossible. Why does that come under the subject of contraception? Because it renders procreation impossible. We are not to interfere with that. 
abortion is always uh, evil. Abortion is always evil. And contraception is always evil. Uh, It is interfering with what God has given. We don't trust him. We give ourselves to God. We have the option of refraining at certain times in certain conditions from the marital union. We have natural family planning, which I was which wasn't called planning. It should be natural family procreation, because planning indicates that we can um, refrain from having children by our own will until we save up enough money to get a house, something like that. It's not what natural family planning is for. It's not to be used as Catholic birth control. A husband and wife are to be open to life, and if they are not open to life on their marriage bed, then their marriage is not consummated. Um, uh, it, it's very serious. We, we, we put God, we get married in God's name, and then we put him on the shelf and we turn from him and do it our own way. It's not what God would have. There is no legitimate uh, uh, exercise of abortion or contraception. The only thing that God has given us to do, uh, if there's a reason, is to refrain from marital intimacy. That's what it is. Again, if a woman is, if, if uh, you have grave circumstances, physical, mental, psychological, uh, financial, even grave circumstances, where having another children would be a tremendous hardship, um, then you Uh, have the permission of the church to practice natural family planning and refrain from intimacy during a woman's most fertile periods, most fertile times. Yes. Um, There's so many uh, other situations here uh, that people would see as exceptions. I don't know of an exception, beloved. I don't know of an exception. Not where it comes to aborting a child, and contraceptives are abortifacients, if especially if it's the pill. Not all of them, but all of them are grave sin, because we shut God out. Father Hardin says every form of contraception is simply forbidden. Given the mindset of so many members of the hierarchy, it is no wonder that millions of Catholics are deeply confused. Whom are we to obey, they ask themselves, the bishops or the Pope? Pope Paul VI anticipated this dilemma of conscience. Shortly after Humanae Vitae, he said, how many times we have trembled before the alternatives of an easy condescension to current opinions. End quote. No wonder, Father Hardin says, uh, Paul VI never published another encyclical for the next 10 years until his death in 1978. In God's providence, one of the strongest bishop defenders of Humanae Vitae was Carol Wojtyla, um, uh, uh, who, who, of course, was elected after the short reign of John Paul I to the successor uh, of being Pope. There is no exception for contraception. And any form of contraception 
uh, abortion, um, um, sterilization, in vitro fertilization, uh, embryo, everything is immoral and gravely sinful. It must not happen at all. But if you're Catholic, it must not happen. If you engage in those activities, beloved, and you know the truth of the church, and you know the church says you will be in mortal sin, mortal means grave, and it means that you are responsible for the grave sin because you already know the church's teaching, and you do it uh, willfully, then you, on the spot, have excommunicated yourself from the church. A priest doesn't have to do it. A pope doesn't have to do it. Excuse me. When we commit mortal sin willfully, of our own free will, in full knowledge, understanding the church's teaching, we excommunicate ourselves from the church. And we must not receive communion. And we are not going to be united again to God unless we go and make a good, true confession of that and be forgiven through the priest. And then we can be united to God. Until then, beloved, we are not on our road to heaven. Um, oh, dear. I know we don't have too much time. Um Father, go, Father Harden goes on to speak of Christian marriage, which is the foundation of the family. And I know we have little time, so uh, I don't know that I'll get into this section today. Um, but marriage is the foundation of the family. Between a man and a woman, there's no other such thing. Two people living together for 25 years outside of marriage are not married. Common law marriage is not marriage, and you must not receive. I don't care if you've been together 50 years and you have 25 children. If you have not a legitimate marriage and your prior marriage has not been annulled, you are living in adultery and you must not receive communion. And you says, but the Pope said such and such. The Pope, when he says, the Pope is not infallible when he speaks. The Pope has made numerous errors. And, um, and they are not binding. They are not binding. What his intention was with those errors, I cannot tell you that. But when the Pope says that you can, rec- you can be outside of a legitimate sacramental marriage and receive communion, that is against the teaching of the Church, against the teaching of Scripture. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, if you eat and drink unworthily the Eucharist, you bring condemnation for upon yourselves, you will not be excused because the Pope said so. We must know our faith. If the Pope is wrong, if he's confused, if whatever reason he says some of the things he says, if they're against the faith, we must not obey. We must obey God. The Pope is not an infallible human being, beloved. That's what's causing so much confusion. He has the gift of infallibility only. The gift of infallibility says that when a doctrine is declared as binding on the faithful in matters of faith and morals, the Pope, in those instances only, is protected from error. 
It doesn't even say positively he speaks the truth. It's almost a negative gift. He's protected from error. So we, so error is not binding on us. And nothing the Pope has said, it has been binding. And if he, he said it in a way that was binding and it's against church teaching, beloved, then, uh, then we would have a very serious issue on our hand with that Pope. We must not obey error. Um, we need to learn our faith. We need to learn our faith, beloved. There, I've mentioned the Amazon Synod before that's scheduled for October. It is proposed to change the church. Bishops and priests have come out, have, having read the working document and said, nothing will be the same. It will be a different church. Now, that's not my prophecy. I'm not saying it. That's what they have said. And no matter what is ahead of us, beloved, it is the church Christ founded, which he will lead into all truth till the end of time and which the gates of hell will not prevail against. If anything that's taught is against what has been true for 2,000 years, we must not believe it and we must not live it. There's such a thing as development of doctrine. Indeed, the church is a living organism. There's a development of doctrine, but no new doctrine. And if any development goes against established doctrine, it's not a development. It's a uh, aberration. It's not a development. Um, Cardinal Newman, if you would like to read a a, a bit of a scholarly work, it's over my head, but it it helped me greatly into the church. Uh, His book on the essay of the development of doctrine by Cardinal Newman. The essay on the development of doctrine, it shows you how doctrine develops from the acorn of the early church into a huge tree that covers the world. It shows you how to understand a true development and how you can trace true development into the branches and how you can trace true development from the branches back to the acorn and also how you can recognize false development. We are not to obey a development that is not in keeping with the infallible uh, doctrine of the church. We have many people to help us toward that. Don't despair, beloved. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll speak with you on Monday. God bless you.